I just love what you do for me. You're so reliable, smart and incredibly well-connected. <clears throat> Excuse me, could I pay for my meal? Oh, of course, just having a moment with my Combank Smart Terminal. Tap away. Feel a stronger connection. With extra connectivity, you're always payment ready. There's more to love with the Combank Smart Terminal. Mm, it is a nice terminal. Eligibility criteria, fees and T's and C's apply. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Viripai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turbul and Jagara country. Hello everyone and we are so excited today to bring you another Medicubes podcast episode and our very special guest today is Kylie Gibson. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her in just a moment but I'm just going to come and say a hearty hi too to Kim and Chris. Chris, how are you doing today? Oh look, fine and dandy. You know, I'm always excited to record another episode and I'm really excited to learn some things today. It's a great topic and I won't want to spoil it but I am pretty keen and interested to find out more. Fantastic. What about you, Kim? What have you been up to? Yeah, hi. I'm um, currently sitting and residing in Nuggerwall country, so the same place where Kylie is, different little suburbs here in ACT, but I'm really looking forward to also hearing about this fabulous topic. And it's a beautiful sunny day here in ACT, so that's a big surprise in itself. <laughs> Bonus. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Kylie Gibson. Kylie is what she calls an accidental practice manager coming in as a role to assist her husband, GP, initially intended to be for six months, and it has turned into a 13-year stint. And I'll bet a few of our listeners can relate to exactly that kind of dynamic there. Kylie has a project management background and also a behavioural science degree. Kylie, we're so excited to have you on the show today to have a talk about social prescribing in general practice. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks so much for having me today. It's really great. I'm excited to be talking about the social workers in general practice program that we have running as a pilot in the ACT. So yes, I'm very much an accidental practice manager. I came into the mix just to help my husband out. And as everybody knows, sometimes you just get roped in. It's largely an invisible field working in practice management and working in general practice. But once you're in, you're in. It's a pretty exciting place to be. But we try and be a pretty innovative practice. So we like to go for grants and things like that to do some different things in the healthcare space. And we're particularly excited to be working in the social workers program that's specific to the ACT. 
We are absolutely going to do the deep dive into some very specific work that you've done. And I am really confident that our cohort is going to get some great ideas out of that for their own practice in terms of considering some innovative models of care too. But before we dive into the woods, Kylie, we usually start off with a little bit of a fun fact. What have you brought for us today? I am trying to put a light spin on the COVID years. I'm sure lots of our listeners remember how challenging that was, but I was just reflecting on something funny that happened in COVID. We used to run a lot of big clinics at our practice and we had a lot of people coming and that they hadn't been out of the house very much. So I tried to make it a bit of an entertaining and interesting experience And I used to tell a joke every single clinic and my favourite joke and the one that got the best groans was, why don't ants get sick? And the answer is because of their little antibodies. Oh, it's almost a dad joke, isn't it? (laughs) Well, given that it was Father's Day yesterday, very much. Father's Day was just recent. So uh, there we go. That's an absolute cracker. I guess a lighthearted way to keep the team engaged as well. Kylie, before we dive into considering the role of social workers within general practice, can you tell us a little bit more about what social workers do more generally? Because in general practice, we don't tend to intersect so much with this particular focus of support, do we? In general, social workers work in a really interesting space because they work with the biopsychosocial needs of patients and the community. And bringing those into general practice, with general practitioners generally focusing on physical health and medical health, the social workers are a really great adjunct to that because they encompass more of the social areas of people, including their housing conditions and their general welfare. And they can have more chats about end-of-life planning and all those sorts of things. It's quite different to what a social worker would do in an environment such as a school or perhaps in other areas of need because it is working, ours is particularly working with vulnerable elderly. So that was the expression of interest that we put forward. So we do have a very specific focus for our practice. So Carly, take us back to step one. Can you ex- just explain the program and what it does and how does this all translate to what's happening in general practice? Because I'm trying to get my head around it and I bit, bit just need to understand if you could take me on a journey, that'd be amazing. Sure thing. So way back when, and I don't actually remember when it started, but our Capital Health Network, which is our local PHN, put forward for practices to answer an expression of interest to have social workers in general practice. And four practices were given the opportunity to have a social worker embedded into their workflows. So we put forward a proposal because During COVID especially, we recognised that some of our vulnerable elderly were falling through the cracks despite all the best efforts of their general practitioners. We were getting quite worried that COVID had driven people to ground and that we were missing big aspects of their care. Plus, the other big part of it for us was that GPs were quite burnt out at that time. They were addressing a lot of things that had come out of COVID, like mental health issues and housing issues. And Canberra is a place that sometimes 
due to the professional nature of it. A lot of vulnerable elderly don't have children here to help them navigate the care system. So we put forward a proposal to work with independent living vulnerable elderly to keep them in their homes for longer and in a safer way. So that was predominantly our focus and we applied and we were very grateful to have received a grant and that is the space we mostly work in. Fantastic. And Kylie, when you're thinking about those vulnerable clients, how do you identify them through your clinical software or is it through a clinician's discretion? Just talk to me a little bit about how you identify those particular clients that you want to engage and what the workflows look like in terms of that social worker embedded into your general practice setting. Sure, absolutely, Kim. So, Predominantly, our referrals come via the general practitioner because they are the person that knows the patient best. So they might just have a general medical consultation with their GP and the patient. And out of that consultation, the GP realises that there's some areas that are gaps potentially. So the patient may have said that they're struggling to get cleaning services in their house or they're worried about their health and what they're going to do at the end of their life or that they might be thinking about downsizing or moving into a nursing home, all of these kinds of conversations. And we have very close relationships with our patients. So they go to their general practitioner as their trusted healthcare provider and they ask their GPs, what do I do? And obviously GPs have limited time in some ways to address all of the complexities of these areas. And so we realised that GPs were either doing lots of extra work to try and help these patients or the work wasn't getting done in its full scope because of that. I'm also curious to know, in addition to your GPs flagging some of these patients and some of the conversations Mm -hmm. that you just mentioned then that are just flagging potential referrals, what about your nurses are instantly going to over 75 health assessments? Yes, absolutely. Through our over 75 health assessments, they are flagged as well. That was a really important part of it. Some of those did have to stop or slow down during COVID because of just capacity and nurse vaccinating, but they work really closely together. So everyone is referring through. So the nurses may identify through their health assessments, the GPs may refer. And we also had a review of absent elderly. So we looked at all the patients that were not coming to our practice to make sure that they had been identified, to make sure we really truly weren't missing people who had completely fallen through the gaps. So that was just a matter of using a PENCAT search and seeing how frequently the patients had come in and extending the offer to people that weren't coming to their doctors. I love that proactive approach of not just looking at who is coming through the door, but also who are we missing as we are going on on this journey. Can I ask about what were some of the strategies and how successful were you at capturing that cohort of patients that looked like they were falling through the cracks? How did you get them to come in? How did they engage with that service? We did it in a variety of ways. Predominantly, when we did our searches to see where the patients were coming in, we were very pleased to see that they actually were. The overwhelming majority of people were engaging with their healthcare providers and coming to the practice. So that did make our job a little bit easier. 
We also used a survey to just proactively check people in the waiting rooms who may not have been on the radar. So we used something called a vulnerable elderly survey. It's called the VES 13. We chose it because it was a validated self-administered tool that patients could easily complete. It's just 13 questions. They could easily complete it and then it was very quick to score and then that just fed through because sometimes the presentation reason was about a script or about something completely different but using a proactive measure in the waiting room where patients could just complete a quick self-administered survey And that then fed through as a normal result for the doctor. The doctor could then think about what that result meant in the broader context of that patient and then put a return onto that patient and then we would offer additional services. Fantastic. So this VES13 tool that you are mentioning, I would imagine that many of our listeners may not have come across that before. Can you tell us a little bit about where participants might be able to access that? Is it a freely available resource? Is this something that you purchased as part of the service rollout? What did that look like? This is a freely accessible one as long as it's acknowledged correctly and it's just one of these short form surveys. It has been validated. I don't know whether it's very widely used in general practice. I found it and thought it was useful because it addresses a whole lot of things that we were looking at, including activities of daily living, just all sorts of vulnerabilities. Can people just do basic things like shopping, get down on the floor to do some housework, whether they need support? So we will definitely incorporate it into our health assessments in future, despite not being in this program, because that's the way that health assessments can go. You can take them according to your practice needs and your areas of need for your cohort of patients. That's so cool, Carly. I was about to start Googling it, then I thought, I oh, don't no, focus on the chat. Because <laughs> my head jumps to, that's a great way, as we've mentioned, to identify patients and being identified by the GPs and by the nursing cohort. How does it then translate to what happens next? Is it an appointment? Is it What's the workflow? I think a lot of us are all in our practices and really busy. So what does it mean actually to the nuts and bolts of the practice? And how does it actually happen? Okay. So from there, once the patient has been identified as being someone who may benefit from seeing the social worker in general practice, then the doctor does an internal referral and that just provides a little bit more context. We just use our letter writer through our medical software and they do an internal referral for our part-time social worker. She then contacts the patient to offer them a little bit more information about the service and then they just take it from there. Usually the first appointments last for about an hour Sometimes the doctor may say that they would prefer the appointment take place in the patient's home because they have specific concerns about a patient's living environment, for example. So the social worker will make a decision about whether that's done as a practice visit or whether that's done as in the home. Often not just a one-off appointment. Sometimes if it's just purely how do I access my age care, then that will be something that can be quite self-contained and the patient then knows that if they have future problems, they can come back to the social worker. But other times, the patient has got quite complex care needs. They might be wanting to talk about end-of-life planning, advanced care directives, EPOAs, that's enduring powers of attorney. They might be thinking of downsizing or they might have domestic violence or all sorts of areas 
There could be general counselling, the works. It can be a quite contained specific goal that the social worker is trying to meet together with the patient or it could be a more evolving conversation that involves repeat consultations together. We're starting to get a really full picture now of how these social workers are being incorporated within your practice team. You're indicating that this is on a part-time basis, which makes a whole lot of sense. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you kind of got started with this in terms of the grant fund and what you're planning to do to ensure that there is some viability for that ongoing service provision at the end of that funding period? So with the additional grant, we had the opportunity to decide whether we wanted a full-time or a part-time social worker. So I had a chat with my team and we looked at what our needs were and we decided a part-time social worker was sufficient for our practice cohort and the specific goals that we had for our practice to deal with independent living, vulnerable elderly. So at the moment, it's fully funded, this program, for 12 months. So the patients don't have any out-of-pocket costs. And because most social workers are not mental health care trained, there's no way that we could put them through, say, a GP management plan with extended primary care referral because they have to have specific mental health care training for that. But what would be great and what we hope would happen post this program is that the data will show that there is great benefit for patients and that this actually saves the government a lot of money because we're dealing with patients before they reach the crisis point, which we all know is much more expensive. So we are keeping them well in the community for as long as possible. And we hope that maybe, this is my wish at least, and hopefully it's a reasonable idea, that social workers could be used like a mental health care plan where there's 10 Medicare funded visits to a social worker and they will be able to have ongoing access. But we will move heaven and earth to try and keep them funded in some way in our practice, even if that's through use of doing more health assessments and the social worker comes into that or even maybe a very small out-of-pocket cost. But it is a very valuable role that the social workers play. Carly, that sounds fantastic in terms of your vision for where you see this happening. And, you know, I've seen other models of care where people are saying it's absolutely essential. There is no funding structure for it at the moment, but we will make it happen. I've seen it particularly around people saying the importance of having care navigators, care coordinators, and they're like, I'm just curious to know because there has been a lot more development in terms of online platforms such as my community directory and also Ask Izzy, what's the access to services like? I'm seeing that there are these platforms and it's great to have referrals, but access is quite another thing, isn't it? I think what it really needs, yes, absolutely, there's lots of services out there, but you have to remember that the area that we're working in is, is with vulnerable elderly and often they're not aware of the services that are available and the pathways to accessing those services are quite complicated. They might be technology-based or through computers or web portals and all the rest of it. So whilst there is certainly services, the access is probably not as taken up as what it could be simply because patients are sitting in their homes feeling very overwhelmed 
overwhelmed about what they should be doing next. But that's where a social worker can really work as an advocate in that space. They take the patient's hand and they walk them down through the paths of what services are appropriate for them. And it's not a top-down type situation. It really is truly a partnership. It's respecting the patient's choices about how whether they want to stay in their own home or whether they want to move to an aged care facility, what kind of wraparound care they have that already exists. And then the social worker can help fill those gaps through providing access to services and helping them navigate that space. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, being inside the medical system, it's hard enough, isn't it, to navigate it, which is why I highlighted again the importance of care navigators and care coordinators in whatever capacity or clinical role that they might have to assist people because it's a complex beast, there's no doubt about it. I'm curious to know from a collaborative and community of practice, you mentioned that there's four practices that are involved in this pilot What kind of sharing of learnings and really thinking about scaling this post you doing the pilot? What's the plan? How have you collaborated all together? So we do have a community of practice. So the social workers do gather together to discuss the challenges that they've encountered. They have some mentorship opportunities and they discuss the pathways going forward. There's also GP champions in each practice and we have a GP champion that is very passionate about this space. Together, we all work together to try and give good information about it going forward. The program's also being evaluated by the University of Canberra, so we're collecting data and that will be used to try and disseminate the information going forward to hopefully secure some ongoing recognition of the need for social workers in general practice and potentially for ongoing funding opportunities. And hey, Kylie, I love data. I love that awesome, that it's going to be a real awesome evaluation. But I think one of the things I love you mentioned earlier was the fact that it helped with GP and team burnout in having this avenue. Anecdotally, so not on the data end, what's been the response in your team and how's it sort of, how's it changed or what's it meant to the practice culture, the team culture? Tell me about that. At first, like with any changes, GPs are sometimes a little bit nervous about whether this is something that's right for their patient. So obviously they're used to dealing with everything on their own or together with the nurse, but we were particularly lucky to have found a wonderful social worker who has quickly become a very trusted part of the care team. And I would have to say there's a great deal of relief amongst the GPs. They Mm. feel really supported and the wealth of information that the social worker can get out of those patient encounters is it's absolutely astounding for a start but it really helps the GP to think about the whole person rather than just not saying just in a detrimental way to GPs at all but they're often focused on presenting condition and this gives them such a holistic space to work in and it really is very well received by the patients as well it's been invaluable to us. Amazing. Look, I think this has just been, again, such a clean example of thinking about our practice teams, what services our particular patient cohort really, really needs, and that's going to look different for different practices. But you've weaved around all the bits that would make you go, it's not going to work this way, it's not going to work that way, but what can we do? And you've been able to tap into some of that funding to get you started and to learn along the way of what those benefits are. And I can certainly hear in your voice 
the passion that you're expressing for what that means for your clients, your patients in making sure that they can stay safe and healthy and happy, I guess, in their own homes. I guess as a last question for you, I'd love to hear whether this particular project has sparked any other interests in terms of what's next on the horizon for you, whether it's moving more within that same direction or whether you're going, hey, we can do this. Let's also look at something else. Has anything like that occurred for you? Absolutely. We were lucky enough to have an opportunity to work in the healthy ageing space. And we put together a proposal that started just in July of 2023. Our project is called the Happier Pilot, which stands for Healthy Ageing Project Using Positive Interventions and Exercise Rehabilitation. That spells happier for those people playing along at home. And this is a different project that is also focused on keeping people healthy as they age in place. So we work together with physios and personal trainers. We do walking talks for education sessions. So I'm getting my nurses some headsets so they can do a tour group style walking program. And we have just started recruiting our patients into the Happier Pilot It's really exciting. So now patients who are of our target population, they have got lots and lots of support that they didn't have through these funding opportunities provided through Capital Health Network and through the PHN program. So I would encourage everybody to keep an eye out on what funding opportunities there are for general practices because they do come up. And have a go at putting a grant together. It's often not that hard, but really think about how that relates to your practice and what your practice population needs. And then you can run with it. It's so exciting to be working in this space. It's of great benefit to our GPs. It's of great benefit to our patients. And we really want to, one, support people to work, stay in their homes for as long as possible and have really good end-of-life care as they do become vulnerable. But now with this second project, we're trying to make everybody happier and delay the time that they need the end-of-life care and all these things by working on muscle mass and falls prevention and all sorts of things that we do. So it's very exciting and it creates a whole team environment, which we really are very focused on. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Kylie. Kim, any thoughts or final questions from you? Yeah, Kylie, I just love that description you just came out with then, you know, go and apply. But what I particularly liked about your messaging was it was dream big, think big, think creatively, think about what could we do if we had money and think outside the square. And I really love that because you spoke with passion and energy and not just let's go and roll out the usual of what we do. Let's be different and think really creatively and ideate. And Chris, what are your final comments and thoughts too? Oh, well, Kim stole my thunder because that's what I was excited about. But I think <laughs> one of the things I love is, Carly, how you identified that this program would serve your community. And I think that's something that is really exciting, that you knew your patients and you knew your cohort and you knew your community and you knew that this program would make a real difference. And I think sometimes we're all just hit with so many different opportunities and things happening and everything going on. Whereas, as Kim said, you had that vision but you knew your community and you stuck to it. And it sounds like you're delivering an amazing program that's solving some real needs. Well, our motto has always been for our practices, working together for better health. 
And I really think that it does encompass everything that we do. That's not just the GP team and the administration team and the nurses. It's really with our community and the community partnerships that we can have. It's really important that practices do look up from the desk, and I know it's a very busy environment that they're in, but it gets exhausting if you're doing the same thing day in and day out, and this is such an exciting thing to do. It gives a lot of invigoration to the team, and it helps everybody feel very supported and that you are truly working together. Thank you, Kylie. We are so appreciative that you've been ready to share with us your experiences with this social worker model of health within your practice. And we hope that our listening audience gets enthused and has some sparks of ideas of what they could do within their practice. Thank you again for sharing your expertise with us. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much for having me and giving us the chance to talk about this program. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.